Well, this morning we are starting a new teaching series called Legacy, Living with Leaving in Mind. One of the many things that the scriptures call followers of Jesus to be mindful of is the fact that our time on this earth is extremely temporary and that not a single day is is really guaranteed to us. That in the grand scheme of things, our individual existence is but a breath, a vapor to use biblical language. And and the scriptures call us to be mindful of that, not not simply so that we might be uh, depressed, like, man, my life is short. No, in fact, that we might be driven. We might be driven to be as faithful as possible with this very short existence that we're given. Being faithful in two directions, being faithful in, in building a relationship and resting in and growing a relationship with God, but then also being faithful in extending the things that God has given to me toward others being faithful in growing in my love for him and being faithful in extending that love through me to other people. That's what this series is about. And I thought to myself, well, what's the best way to kick this off? What's the best way to start this? And what came to mind for me was a man who's had profound influence in our denomination, in in our state, and in this church and also in, in my life as I've gotten to know him and have been blessed to serve underneath his leadership in my 16 years in pastoral ministry. And so today I want to welcome Reverend Dr. Jerry Kishnick. He's the former president of our denomination, Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, former president of our district, the Texas district of Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. And today he's the executive director of an organization called Legacy Deo, which helps people wrestle with the kind of questions that that parable encourages us to wrestle with. What does it mean to be rich toward God? So please join me in welcoming Reverend Dr. Jerry Kieschnick. Welcome, Jerry. It's so good to see you, and it's good to have you with us. It's good to be seen, as they say. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know, um, I wanted to to start this series off and have this conversation with you for for a couple of reasons. Uh, One, your breadth of experience in leading a national church body, leading a statewide church body, but also being being a parish pastor and also just being a faithful follower of Jesus. My, my, My sense is that because of all of that experience, you have a good understanding of what it means to leave a legacy behind and to be faithful in, in, in a relationship that grows with God and in sharing the love of God with other people. And that's, uh, that you have a breadth of experience and understanding about how to apply, say, this parable to our lives that, that, that I maybe even don't yet quite have. And so I wanted to kick this off with a conversation with you and just kind of tease out some of your, your wisdom and your insight. And so I thank you for indulging me in that. It's, uh, it's, at the very least, it's a blessing to me. And I hope it's a blessing. You. you guys are blessed to have staff like you have. You know that? Um, thanks. Very kind. You can pay me later. <laughs> Will do. Well, I want to dive right in because I think there's a lot of great wisdom to pull from this parable, but also to pull from you. And and here's where I want to begin. You know, we are led in this parable, but then also throughout the scriptures to understand that that life is, is not merely about what we can attain or accomplish while we are on this earth, but we are called to lift our eyes Uh, above the horizon to see something bigger. We're called to see what will will last after us. 
What's going to be left behind when we're gone? What's going to resonate in the wake of our existence? Will it be things that God says matters, or will it be things that, that ultimately don't matter? And so, so the first question I had for you is, is this. Do you agree that the scriptures would have us focus more on what we'd leave behind than what we, what we attain today? And if so, what are some of the things that followers of Jesus should be seeking to leave behind once they're gone. Well, the parable that you read a while ago is fascinating. The guy in the crowd who asked the question of Jesus really didn't understand the law in those days because the firstborn was supposed to get two shares and everybody else in the family only got one. So he was asking a question that he should have known was unlawful. Uh, Fortunately, we don't have that law today in our world, in our country. And my daddy used to say, where there's a will, there's relatives. (laughs) And I say, where there's no will, there's even more relatives with their hands extended and palms up. (laughs) I agree that Christians and all people should be focused on leaving a legacy for those who follow us. That's so so important. The problem is, the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. Hmm. Please note it's not money itself. It's, it's the love of money that's the root of all evil. So the question of leaving a legacy is how do we do that? And, and what's the right amount in terms of leaving a legacy to our family and what else can we do What else can we do? So the man in the parable is just trying to seek more for himself. Hmm. Nothing wrong with building barns. Nothing wrong with being successful. Successful. Nothing really wrong with being wealthy. Zig Ziglar said, money's not the most important thing in life, but it's right up there next to oxygen on the gotta have it scale. So money is needed for life. You know that, you gotta have it to live. Success becomes wrong when greed seeps in. We forget the truth that we were born with nothing and we're gonna leave this world with nothing. What we seek to leave behind is a legacy that's both a spiritual legacy and a material legacy. On the spiritual list are the gifts of of faith, love for the Lord, love for his people, love for our family. On the material side, it's no sin to leave a legacy of wealth. So long as a proper understanding has also been conveyed conveyed to our loved ones that none of this belongs to us. All of it belongs to the good Lord. It was his before we came here. It's going to be his when we're gone. Hmm. Absolutely. Now, now in in the parable, Jesus uses this phrase, being rich toward God. And he, he sets that up as the, as the ideal. Rather than being rich toward yourself and, and worrying too much about bigger barns, he encourages his, uh, the crowd, he encourages his hearers to say, look, here, here's the point. Be rich toward God. Now, that's a beautiful turn of phrase, but what in the world does that mean, to be rich toward God? There's a man named Boyd Daly who wrote a quote that I read this week in preparation for this. He wrote... If I act like I'm the owner of my possessions, then the acquisition of more possessions becomes my motivation. 
But if I live like the Lord is the owner of my stuff and I am his steward, then the distribution of his possessions becomes my passion. Generosity starves greed. Hmm. So the parable is packed with uh, wisdom, emotion, warning. He calls out this prosperous man for his short-sightedness, self-indulgence, self-deception. This man deceptively thought that he owned all of his possession, my crops, my barns, myself. The farmer failed to recognize the obvious, that the creator of the soil, of this man's soul, of the harvest, Almighty God. This foolish man failed to be rich toward God by living for himself. Hmm. Being rich toward God starts with a recognition of the truth that St. Paul expressed in 2 Corinthians 9. God is able to bless you abundantly so that at all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So being rich toward God means putting him first, acknowledging him as the owner of everything I call my own, and using what he's given me for the care and nurture of family, other people in the world, and the mission of the church, which is the reason he has sent us to this place in the first place. Hmm. I've often thought about it as aligning your heart with God's heart. Uh, The the scriptures tell us what matters to God over and over again. Uh, Generosity that allows the the message of Jesus to move forward, the the, the care for the poor and and the widow and the weak, and, and also caring for ourselves. You know, these are things that matter to God, and so it's about aligning our hearts with his and then using our resources accordingly. It's really ultimately, really ultimately a conversation about the hearts. And if our heart is aligned with God, will he, this generous God, ever let our hands be truly empty? I think the answer to that is, is no. Align the hearts and, and God will take care of the hands. And, and now you in your position as president of a national church body overseeing thousands of churches, tens of thousands of church workers, uh, 6,000 congregations, a couple million people, that's a, that's a potential for a lot of lives that you could see and a lot of stories that you could hear about people who have been rich toward God, who have embraced generosity, who have left a legacy of faith and of blessing to the people uh, that they leave behind. Are there any stories that you've encountered in your time as a president of a church body and the other roles that you've had that really stick with you of someone who's lived this out? Yeah, I have two stories. One is a man I never met, Truett Cathy, founder of Chick-fil-A. He was extravagantly rich toward God. Gave personalized encouragement, wisdom, financial generosity for lots of people. Rich toward orphans and foster children, provided facilities and opportunities for them to feel loved and taken care of. Though leading a billion dollar company, he lived very modestly His team members were allowed to take off Sundays. They're still closed on Sundays, you know, uh, to worship the Lord, to take care of their families. 
He said about business, if we focus on becoming better, our customers will demand that we become bigger. Oh, were those words true? Mm. As followers of Jesus, if we focus on becoming more like Christ, others will see us and look at us and learn about following right. Christ. So being rich toward God is valuing what God values over ourselves. My personal experience includes helping an 87-year-old widow. Her name is Karen. I've helped her plan her estate. She lives like a pauper. She's never let me come to her home. From her description, I believe her living conditions are quite subpar in every way. She's resisted every attempt, every offer I've made to try to help her find a, a more comfortable, more safe, more livable home, which she, she certainly could afford. She has enough wealth to provide something meaningful for her nephews and nieces. She has no children of her own, while at the same time establishing a plan that will leave a substantial amount of resources for endowment, an endowment for foreign missions after she's called home to heaven. She doesn't use the word legacy, but she's surely leaving a legacy with deep humility, trusting the Lord for his provision for her needs. John Wesley, one of the guys that formed the Wesley, the Methodist church said, earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. I think that's pretty good advice. Pretty good advice. You know, for, for, for some of us, we, we might hear that word legacy and it may seem like over the top or out of the re out of reach for us. Like like, you know, I, I grew up in a kind of a very very blue collar existence. You're 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 the son of a of a of a meat cutter here in Houston, right? Uh, of a butcher, and uh, so 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 we know what it's like to grow up in a very blue collar existence. And growing up in my house, you know, the word endowment was I don't think a word we really knew. Um, and legacy is something that feels like it's only for those who have the privilege to think in such terms, right? And I know that there are, there are some who may be hearing about what kind of legacy you're going to leave behind, and they immediately count themselves out. Like, we get the idea of, I need to leave, first and foremost, a legacy of faith in Christ to those who come after me. Absolutely. But anything beyond that seems um, maybe above their pay grade or outside of, of their sphere of concern. They're concerned with going to work and raising kids and coming to church, and that's, that's about it. What would you say to someone for whom that notion of what kind of legacy are you going to leave behind just seems um, like something that's not for them? Yeah, that's a great question. The organization that I'm working with right now, and Scott B.R. is one of our board members, by the way, rebranded from Lutheran Foundation of Texas to Legacy Deo. Deo, D-E-O, Latin word, it means God. So legacy Deo means legacy from God, legacy for God, legacy to God, legacy of God, take your pick. So what that means is that everything we are and have is God's legacy to us. And what we do with who we are and what we have is our legacy to God. So my immediate response to the question about whether somebody feels he or she is not wealthy enough to leave a legacy is to share the parable of the master who left his three servants with differing amounts of wealth to invest on his behalf while he was gone. They all had different amounts of, of trust or of resources, but each of them had the same responsibility to manage, take care of the master's resources. 
Matthew 25. My father used to say, I'm not rich, I'm rich. Shaquille O'Neal, Shaq, trying to motivate his kids to the hard work, says, you know, my kids are older now and they're kind of upset with me. I tell them all the time, we ain't rich, I'm rich. <laughs> <laughs> the biblical story of the widow's might just does it for me. Jesus is watching the crowd at the temple give money to the treasury. Many rich people were given large amounts. And then here comes a poor widow, puts in two very small copper coins called the widow's mite. The mite was a Jewish coin. It was very small and very almost worthless. At the time Mark wrote this in chapter 12, a, a mite was worth about 164th of a denarius. Oh great, Kishnik, what's a denarius? <laughs> uh, basically a day's wage, one day's wage for a common worker, not very much in those days. So in today's terms, a mite would be worth about one eighth of one penny. Jesus said about the widow's offering, this poor widow has put more into the treasure than all these others. They all gave out of their wealth. She gave out of her poverty. She put in everything, all she had to live on. St. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 9, no matter how much we have to give, it is pleasing in the eyes of the Lord. God will always make you rich enough to be generous at all times. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, you, the, the, widow, the widow gave out of her poverty, and, and what she did give represented significant trust and was a significant act of worship for her because to give that little, though it little in the eyes of the world, it meant a lot to her. It was a huge act of worship and trust. And so I think one of the things that the followers of Jesus are meant to wrestle with out of that is, is our giving, whether it's to, to, to church, to neighbor, to friend, to family, to, to person in need, is what we give substantial enough that it actually represents a sacrifice and an act of trust and could rightly be called an act of worship. And for some of us, that might be a penny. For others of us, it might be a lot more. But, it, but it's, it gets to that point where it's less about the amount and more about what God is caring about is our heart and living in this state of generosity flowing from deep trust and great worship. That's what he cares about. Couldn't have said it better. <laughs> well, I know that you and your lovely wife, Terry, don't just talk about this, talk about applying this parable and the other truths of God to your life, but you, you live this out. And so uh, I wanted to just, if I may ask you just personally, wh what is the, the legacy that you and, and Terry are seeking to leave behind to the people that, that you love? Yeah, that's a great question. The Bible says, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. It got my attention. At the end of the day, Terry and I have endeavored to teach our kids the two great commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and love your neighbor 
as you love yourself. Though not without original sin, I think they've learned those lessons pretty well. In spite of being PKs, preacher's kids, and perhaps even worse, children of a district president, (laughs) and Lord have mercy, kids of a national church body president, our son and and daughter have come to learn that nobody is perfect. Mm. Everybody has a burden to bear. Our grandchildren are remarkably generous in every way, especially for 26 and 27 year old human beings. Terry and I are leaving our legacy to our children and grandchildren in, in the form of an initial infusion of a generous but not insanely huge bequest after Terry and I are both gone, followed by a steady stream of income to each of those people for 20 years, produced by the investment of the bulk of our estate by Legacy Dale, who's serving as our trustee. The principal of that amount is going to stay intact. Only the earnings will be paid to children and grandchildren for those 20 years. So after those two decades are passed, the bulk of the estate is still going to be there. And it'll be divided into two endowments. One to support Christian missions in Texas and beyond. The other for the work of Christian and other humanitarian organizations in providing charitable relief for people, especially children, suffering from hunger, disability, abuse, homelessness, any other chronic malady. Actually, that endowment is already in place, and it'll make its first distribution just this next month, giving to organizations like Feed My Starving Children, a Tunnel to Towers, Salvation Army, Orphan Grain Train. Those financial gifts will hopefully express the depth of our love for our family, without tempting them to buy a stinking yacht, (laughs) but also providing them a lasting legacy of knowing that their parents love the Lord Jesus and his church and his people, especially those in need. Dr. Kishik, one of the things I I appreciate about you is that you know, that legacy that you and Terry are leaving behind, you know, it's, um, you know, you've shared with me that that's, it's not the result of, you know, generational wealth that you've inherited that you're passing on, not as though that's a bad thing, but uh, it's not as though you, um, you had a startup and you, and you made it rich quick. <laughs> and, and certainly being in ministry, I think if you're doing it faithfully, it's not a means to get rich. <laughs> but what you and Terry have done is just very faithfully over the decades, you have lived with the end in mind and little bit by little bit have said, we're going to leave something, we're going to give something, we're gonna leave something, we're gonna give something. And now, at this particular stage in life, you you can look at something sizable and go, this is what we're gonna leave to people that matter to us. Uh, And I I, I just so respect that, because I feel like that's that's just unbelievably biblical and um, very, very admirable. Uh, Looking back at the parable, one of the questions that, that people often ask when they look at parables like this, where Jesus is, is, is pretty straightforward and it kind of cuts to the quick, you know, he's like, be rich towards the things of God, amen. That can be very convicting uh, for those of us, really all of us who struggle with this in some way, shape, or form. So, so my question for you is, where's the, where, where's the gospel in all of this? How, how does the work of Jesus, what he's done on the cross, connect to this act of being rich towards God? 
It's a pretty tough question, young man. <laughs> you can handle it. <laughs> so understanding the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross doesn't come easily for a lot of people. For me, the movie titled The Passion of Christ portrayed the suffering and death of Christ with stark reality. He did that for us, for me, for you, for the world, even for those who don't accept his love and forgiveness. Mm -hmm. Contemplating the depth of Jesus' love motivates me to care for myself and for the world in which I live. So the gifts of life and love, health and home, faith and forgiveness, family, food, freedom, those create within me a desire to give back to the Lord. I hope, at least in some small way, my vocational calling, my work, saving, leaving a legacy to family and to causes that are important to our, in our hearts, that honor Christ and his creation will be a testimony to my love for him and, and in response, that is, to his love for me. The Old Testament, Exodus 35, great passage. All whose hearts were stirred and whose spirits were moved came and brought their sacred offerings to the Lord. They brought their gifts and gave them freely to the Lord. Hmm. That's the kind of spirit that we have in mind when it comes to managing and distributing the resources entrusted to our care. It's no secret, I'm not gonna be here on this earth forever, neither are you. The relatives on my family tree all have one thing in common. They're all dead. <laughs> Old Testament King David said, First Chronicles 29, we are here for only a moment. Visitors and strangers in the land like our ancestors were before us. Our days are on earth are like a passing shadow, yeah. gone so soon without a trace. Yeah. Bottom line? It's not too soon to plan your legacy, always in response to God's gifts to us, temporal and eternal. That's right. Uh, I'll, I'll close with, with this question. What kind of, um, what, what legacy of generosity towards God that you've seen in others has most personally impacted you? you know, certainly in your role as a denominational president, you've seen a lot of things um, but but what, what about the generosity that you've seen extended in somebody else's life that, that has personally blessed and impacted you? Yeah, I've got three stories. One of them, I love kids. I always have loved kids more than adults. I like adults too, but I really <laughs> like kids. So when Terry and I were at a conference one year, several years ago, we, we had a, a Sunday off. Will you forgive me for not going to an LCMS congregation? We went to Saddleback. And at Saddleback, they were doing a capital campaign. They had a big old long stream, line of kids came, in, not down the aisle, it wasn't in the aisle, it was in an auditorium, but they were all lined up. And they each had a piggy bank of some kind. It was, they were all unique, they were not the same. And this one young man, probably eight years old, nine years old, had a big old crayon, empty crayon about this big. And he was lugging it, it was full, you could tell, it was full of pennies, nickels, dimes, and quarters. And he got up to a big barrel where all these kids were dumping their savings in for the capital campaign. And he got up there and he looked at his, his piggy bank and he looked at the barrel, empty. 
He looked at his piggy bank again, and he started crying, just broke out in <laughs> tears. I could just see that he had worked hard to gather all that stuff. He wasn't sure he wanted to get rid, to, you know, to give it. But then all of a sudden his eyes just lit up and he opened the lid and dumped it all in and just almost laughed with joy. That was such a, a, a remarkable vision that I've always carried with me. Second one is my father. I mentioned my father a while ago. He's been in heaven almost 39 years, died way too young. Well, Daddy was a meat cutter for Lewis and Coker and Rice Food Markets. And in the early days of his career, he got paid in cash money, in a pay envelope, not checks, cash. So Saturday night, when Daddy had closed the store, he came home, ate dinner. He would always, without fail, go into his and mother's bedroom. And a few, you know, occasionally I would follow him in there. And he'd open up the sock drawer reached back in the corner, take out a cigar box, opened it, and he opened the pay envelope, counted all the money out to be sure it was all there, and then he counted some out, 10% exactly, put it in the corner, top right corner of that cigar box, counted out some more dollars, put it over here in the top left-hand corner. The right-hand corner was the money that mother and daddy gave the next morning at St. Matthew Lutheran Church, 5315 South Main in Houston, Texas. The money in the other corner, the stash of cash, kept growing until October, which was the mission festival at church, and that gave that once a year. Well, I've always remembered, and I learned, the, the blessing of disciplined tithing. And more than that, the offering was more than the tithe. The third story is the story of a young man who in high school had heard his pastor talk about tithing. And he was curious, so he went in to see his pastor, and they talked for a while, and the young man said, I kind of like that. Well, fast forward, the young man graduated from college, and he got a job, pretty good job, and he came back into the pastor, and he said, Pastor, I've got a job now, and I'm earning a living, so I'd, I'd like, I like this tithing thing, and I'd like to commit myself to a tithe of my earnings for the rest of my life. Can you help me? keep me accountable. Pastor said, well, yeah, I'll be happy to. Uh, main thing I'll do right now, let's just pray about that. So they prayed that God would bless this man's decision to tithe. Fast forward about 20 years or so, this young man had climbed the corporate ladder very quickly. He was now CEO of pretty, pretty good corporation. And he was giving lots of money. So one day he called his pastor. He said, Pastor, can you come out to California? I need to talk to you. So the young man flew the pastor out to San Francisco, met uh, the young man at the, the house he had overlooking the ocean, very wealthy. And after they talked about old times, the young man said to the pastor, Pastor, the reason I ask you out here is because I remember, maybe you do too, Pastor, the time... 20 years ago, we got together and we prayed. I committed myself to make a tithe of all my offerings the rest of my life. Pastor said, I remember it very well. <laughs> Young man said, in those days, it was pretty easy to give a tithe. Now, it's a lot more money. And I can't afford to give a tithe anymore. So, Pastor, my question of you is, is there a way I can get released from that promise to the Lord? The pastor said, you know, that was a promise that you made, and you made it to the Lord of the, the God of the universe. It's pretty hard for me to say, yeah, sure, no problem. Go in peace and forget the, the promise you made. I don't think I can do that in good conscience. 
But here's what I can do. I can get on my knees right now with you right beside me and pray that the good Lord will shrink your income so you can once again afford to give a tithe. (laughs) (laughs) So the bottom line for me, after all is said and done, is that we have been blessed. If you don't think you've been blessed, come with me to a couple of third world countries I've visited. We are blessed. We are blessed to be a blessing. That's it. Amen. Thank you so much. Dr. Kishnick, would you, um, would, you, would you pray for us? I'm honored to pray. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. God of the universe, Father, Son, and Spirit, everything we have is yours. We have it only for a while until that shadow has passed. And we're no longer around, not even a trace of us. But in the meantime, what a blessing it is to live in this world, to know of your love, and to be able to talk with and relate to people that you've given us in our lives and even complete strangers. You are the God who knows everything about us. You know every thought, every word, every deed. You know every hair in our head easier for you to count in some cases than others. You know when a sparrow falls to the ground. Nothing happens without your awareness. According to your holy will, bless this group of people and everybody else our lives touch. Always reminding us of the truth that all we have, all we are, is your gift to us, your legacy. And what we do with what we have and who we are is our legacy to you. Mm -hmm. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Immediately following our worship service today, uh, Jerry and I are going to be holding a luncheon, free lunch for you in the parlor, which is the room across from the gymnasium, just across the parking lot here. Uh, We would love for you to drop in and and, and spend some more time with Dr. Kieschnick's as he shares some stories and some strategies for faithful stewardship. You didn't have to sign up in advance, just show up, we've got lunch for you. We'll be about 45 minutes or an hour together and then you can be on with the rest of your day. So I hope you'll join us. Jerry, once again, thank you so much. Let's show our appreciation for Reverend Dr. Jerry Kishner.